Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, step one to a winning working capital fund. The first thing I would do is make sure you have a good governance system set up inside the agency that addresses cross-functionally all of the parts of that agency. The money problems that hurt risk management. The way that the budget's done and the year over year making that long-term investment is difficult for agencies to execute strategically. And so so I think agencies often find themselves a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of managing risk. And the core element of the government's whole tech agenda. Data underpins all of the the federal CIO strategic initiatives, cybersecurity, IT modernization, digital delivery, and providing exceptional customer experience for the American public. It's Thursday, April 7th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration will, quote, temporarily pause the Polaris contract. A GSA spokesperson tells FedScoop the agency's reviewing provisions of the requests for proposal about joint ventures. The agency says it'll publish an amendment to the RFPs with a new closing date. The Joint All-Domain Command and Control effort at the Defense Department will get a new leader. Air Force Lieutenant General Mary O'Brien will be the new Director of Command, Control, Communication, and Computer Cyber and Chief Information Officer J-6 on the Joint Staff. O'Brien will replace Marine Lieutenant General Dennis Crawl, but the department hasn't released the date yet for O'Brien to relieve Crawl. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Decision makers from the Navy, the Jake Office, the DOD, the State Department, Department and more agencies are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It'll be at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City, April 19th. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Treasury Department's the latest agency to establish a working capital fund for IT investments. It's a fund that the Modernizing Government Technology Act facilitated. Tony Scott is Chief Executive Officer of Intrusion. He's former Chief Information Officer of the United States. Tony, welcome. Thanks for coming on. I told you before we turned the recorder on, the first person I thought of when I saw this was you because this was something that was very important to you as Congress debated the Modernizing Government Technology Act a number of years ago. Why are these working capital funds so important, do you think, for agencies, given that we also have the Technology Modernization Fund? Welcome, Tony. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, great, to, great to talk with you this morning. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I think these uh, agency working capital funds are important. Um, the first one is is that in in order for them to get formed in the first place, there has to be some consensus across the leadership of an organization that investing in IT modernization is an important priority for the agency, and to set aside funds that can be used for projects that often span multiple budget years. Um, You know, these are systems that have been built up over decades and often they're not gonna be replaced, you know, in one budget cycle or in one uh, fell swoop. So it really speaks to having a more strategic plan uh, in the agency and then also a more strategic plan for executing that from a financial perspective. And so I think that's the 
main reason it's uh, important. Um, but the other reason I think it's important, Francis, is that like buildings or other, uh, you know, activities that need to take place, um, you know, you're just not going to do those without putting together a, a pretty significant set of resources um, that, uh, you know, that you can tap into and, and then uh, do the project. And while execution will be always one bite at a time, uh, a series of, you know, smaller steps, you always have to know where you're going um, in order to get someplace. And, and these working capital funds provide a, a framework for knowing where you're going. The original intent of the legislation of one of the pieces of legislation, they were kind of two competing ones back in the, in the 2015, 16 timeframe when these were con conceived. Yeah. And one was the working capital funds and the other was the technology modernization fund as we know it today. And if I recall my legislative history correctly, um, because neither one of them was going to be able to get through, Congress basically said, well, we'll do them both. We'll give you yours and I'll take mine. So we have them both today. My sense is that the TMF has a tremendous amount of momentum, maybe not as much money as people would like, but a lot of momentum. The working capital funds don't have as much momentum. Why do you think that is? And what would incent agencies to kind of get on the bandwagon and start to, to get more engaged in the concept of the working capital funds? Well, I think it depends on the agency. And as, as you well know, there are some agencies that are really a collection of you know, three or four pretty big agencies inside the agency. Um, and then there are other uh, agencies that are more monolithic in terms of their um, structure and governance and, and all of the things that go along with it. Um, and so I, I think you're just going to have a lot of variation across the, you know, across the agencies just because of their very nature and, and the, different missions that each of the subcomponents might have, you know, where they're quite different from one another. Um, and so I think, you know, either the TMF or the working capital funds can be a good solution to uh, these issues. Um, some agencies will tend to choose one over the other. I think that's okay. Um, I still like the TMF as a concept. Um, and what I was hoping to see, and I don't think we've fully seen it yet, but more cross-agency sort of uh, thinking when it comes to the TMF. Um, one of the things that we recognized was, you know, there's a tremendous amount of interdependency in some cases across uh, technologies that a single agency's working capital fund might not address. Um and I don't think we've fully seen that cross-agency thing materialize yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to as as uh, as things develop over time. What would drive that? Do you think? What would incent agencies to to want to collaborate with partners at other agencies and do something like that, Tony? Yeah, I think as uh, each of the agencies modernize and begin to realize the value of not only the data that they have, but the timeliness of the exchange of information, it'll tend to drive more of those 
cross-agency kinds of things. It's a pattern, um, Francis, that I've seen in digitization across uh, a lot of large uh, uh, enterprises, you know, in the private sector is as they digitize, they start to sort of break down some of the old barriers that uh, might exist. And, and I'm pretty sure the same thing will happen uh, in government as well. How can agencies maximize their working capital funds once they get them established? What will make them very high functioning that they can then demonstrate to the Hill, this is really working the way that we want it to, and maybe you should give us a little bit more latitude, legroom, actual dollars, whatever. Yeah, the first thing I would do is make sure you have a good governance system set up inside the agency that addresses cross-functionally all of the parts of that agency so that uh, all of the stakeholders have a have good input and, and have the ability to influence the direction of how that money is spent. Um, every successful project I've ever seen starts with good governance and and uh, the ability for the, the stakeholders to meaningfully participate in the process. Tony Scott, great to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on as always. Thank you. Good to see you. You can read more about working capital funds across government in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. On tomorrow's show, the Zero Trust Journey at the Commerce Department. The Chief Information Officer at Commerce, Andre Mendez, is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Agencies have a new toolkit to use to assess cyber risk. The National Risk Management Center at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has released the Secure Tomorrow Series Toolkit. Bob Kalaski is Senior Vice President at Exeger. He's former director of the NRMC at CISA. Bob, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What is this toolkit? Who uses it to do what? Welcome. Hey, Francis. Good to be on with you, and thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, the Secure Tomorrow work that the National Risk Management Center at CISA was doing was intended to empower, is intended to empower um, people from around the country to think about some of the trends that are going to impact cybersecurity, critical infrastructure in the future, some of the emerging risks, new technologies, the you know evolution of the climate, things that are going on geopolitically, and to get them to think a little bit differently about how those challenges might have real-world implications for things that the communities care about. Um, and so, you know, it's based on the discipline of kind of strategic foresight thinking, scenario planning, where, you know, you, you get out of your day-to-day -day and you try to imagine a, a world in a different way, and then you work through, you know, traditional tabletop exercising of what does that mean? And in terms of what that means, that then gives you a playbook of things that you may want to do now to invest in preparedness and resilience and additional security. And so, so I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tried and true technique um, to uh, think about being more prepared to manage risks. And what, what CIS is trying to do is actually provide some technical assistance and some insight so that communities can easily adapt it so, that, so they don't have to invest in, in understanding the future as much as using that understanding to understand what it means for them. What's kind of the state of the art in risk management and cybersecurity now, Bob? What what are organizations that are doing that well doing today? I think at this point, the state of the art, or certainly what I hope the state of the art, is to recognize that the cyber risks and, and other 
kind of risks that we've had to deal with as a, as a country and even globally need to be part of executive level planning. They, they need to be part of what the boards of directors in the C-suite are talking and accounting for. And the state of the art is actually the process by which you bring those risks to bear to talk about what the implications on, on the business or whatever, whatever your interests are. And you, you start with that and then bring analytics behind that to know your own sources of risk, know your own assets, know what's important to you, deploy that. And through that knowledge and, and through the pressure that comes from the C-suite, from the board, that hopefully leads to smarter investments in managing and mitigating the risk. A lot of what I'm doing in my new role at Exeger is really bringing those analytics to bear so that once the commitment's been made, you have better analysis so you can get ahead and make the investment so you're in better shape longer term. You know, we've all lived through, we can tell COVID stories, and unfortunately, you know, we're still dealing with COVID, but the companies, the entities that were more prepared to deal with the implications of the pandemic are the ones that are in better shape right now. Uh, I'm going to guess the answer is probably it depends, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. What's your sense of where agencies are as far as having those tools that they need to implement that vision that you just outlined, Bob? So at the agency level within the government, we, we struggle with the way that I get to say this from outside, the way that the budget's done and the year over year making that long-term investment is, is difficult for agencies to execute strategically. And so, so I think agencies often find themselves a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of managing risk because they, they just don't have the budget certainty that they can make long-term investments. I think changing that's going to be important. How do we change that? I mean, the, the complaint about that for years in uh, the broader issue of information technology was working capital funds in the TMF. I wonder if something like that, some vehicle like that makes sense in the cyber realm too for the acquisition of the kinds of tools that you're talking about. Yeah, no, no, I, I like that. I mean, the, you know, what, what we were trying to do at CISA in a lot of ways was centralize some of the spend and then recognize that there was access to the spend year over year to, to accomplish things, both in the federal government, but, you know, it's just a build out a grant program. You're going to have a, a similar dilemma there where you have to sort of know what your plan is and have a centralized, and but centralized purchasing makes life a lot easier because you can, um, you have more power. power. We'll have that acquisition discussion another day, Bob, but it occurs to me, I default to stuff, to uh, tools, software, hardware, that kind of thing to think about these problems. What about the brain power? What about the people power that agencies need to be able to execute on the kind of things that you're talking about, especially the, the, the real core risk management principles? It's an interesting dilemma that I found while in government that it was not hard to convince people that it was a worthwhile place to look and to attract talent, but to retain talent and to deal with the reality of workforces, you know, people who want to do different things. And so it wasn't the recruiting and the attraction. It was the retention or dealing with turnover. And if, you know, as I leave government, you know, there was one ask is like, can we figure out a way to have less cost of replacement for talent. I, and I'm finding this in the private sector, right? I can convince you to come work on the mission, but if it's going to take me months and months to fill the position, it, it's just harder to, to be willing to lose people. And, and that causes a real friction in the system. So, so fixing the time to fill positions is 
a strategic imperative for the government. Bob Kolaski, great to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on the program today. Thanks, Francis. It's always good to be with you. You can read more about the Secure Tomorrow Series Toolkit in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference May 19th. It's happening at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The posting for the job of Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer is closed now, so the Office of Management and Budget can review the applicants. Maria Roque created that opening when she retired last week. One new addition in the Office of the Federal Chief Information Officer is Eileen Vadreen. She's Senior Strategic Advisor for Data to the Federal CIO, Claire Martirana. On the new episode of the Let's Talk About IT podcast with FedScoop's Billy Mitchell, she says data underpins everything the federal CIO office is leading. To accelerate digital change, we have to have available, accurate, and actionable data. We also have to bring together uh, great talent to drive uh, true digital progress. Um, and I like to say the office of the CIO is providing executive air cover to federal CIOs, to uh, chief information security officers, as well as our CDOs, to work differently, to think creatively and definitely collaboratively from an enterprise perspective at the speed of relevancy. We actually invest a lot in IT and in data, but we have to deliver secure, modern digital services it's, so it's about the mission. Our workforce needs this, and the American public deserves this work. And it's been several years now since the passage of the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act, which is really sort of the, the uh, core element of all of this progress that's been made in the federal government around data strategy. And, you know, there was the introduction of the federal, federal data strategy several years ago. So what work continues to be done in that area to make the federal government a better steward and manager of data on behalf of the public? So we have a great foundation set, but the goal this year is to set our agency's chief data officers up for success by giving them the support they need to carry out what we're calling stretch goals, accelerate digital transformation using the foundation of data. So we're collaboratively partnering with the federal CDO council, as well as agency CDOs to get their critical input. This is key to operationalizing the vision and policies, such as the cyber executive order and the customer experience executive order. It's really interesting how you've brought those together, and we'll definitely get to that a little bit later. But while we're talking about the Evidence-Based Policymaking Act and uh, sort of the introduction of that CDO role that came recently, I'm curious, how does that role continue to evolve in the federal government? Well, we're still really early in the journey. The chief data officer is still relatively new in what I'm calling the digital C-suite. But just like chief information officers and chief information security officers need a, a seat at the table, so do chief data officers. Data is, is key to making the right decisions at the right time with the right investments. Uh, we see uh, many agencies investing in critical dashboards to inform leadership at the speed of mission. So being better partners with CIOs and senior leaders 
by knowing where agencies are on their technology journey and just being great partners internally at uh, the Office of Management and Budget, specifically with our resource management officers, helping them make the right investments moving forward too. It's truly, you hear me say data is a team sport. And I really believe that it's it's the group of digital leaders working together. So you mentioned earlier in our conversation uh, that data is really playing a bigger role in this picture or, or this, this concept about things like customer experience and digital transformation. Obviously, cybersecurity has data elements as well. So I'm curious how you as a CDO think about those bigger trends in the federal government um, as, as the president issues executive orders on things like cybersecurity and customer experience. Well, when I, when I think of um, these types of uh, real opportunities to accelerate digital change, it's really making sure that we have uh, great data capability. Uh, many times people will talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence to support these types of critical mission areas. And you can't do great data analysis and machine learning and AI at the speed of relevancy without large volumes of the highest quality data. So it's really investing in that foundational capability and making sure that we secure and unlock data, thinking data from an enterprise perspective, and then really pushing the understanding to make sure it translates to improved customer support and that customer journey across government space. So it's really about looking not just at one technology, but holistically as a data ecosystem and how we work together to optimize performance talent is a big piece of this, especially on the data science side. So I, I know that the administrations and administrations past have have made steps to uh, upskill and better train people and, and make it easier to hire data science talent. But I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are around that and what's being done on that topic today? Billy, it, creating a great data talent pipeline is critical, but it begins with uh, the workforce that we have. And so I like to say that we need technologists already in government to be actively engaged in our mission. And then we need their help to bring in some t- talented technologists at all stages of their career to join us and serve our country, whether it's through the path Pathways Job Entry Program, opportunities at US, usajobs.gov, US Digital Service, U.S. Digital Core, and then programs like Presidential Innovation Fellows. It's not about doing one component. It's really about creating a pipeline of data at all, of data talent, specifically across all parts of uh, people's career journeys at all different levels, because there's nothing like making government services better for our friends and our family and our neighbors. Um, we can have amazing impact and uh, bringing in great talent um, is just going to help accelerate that digital change. So Eileen, as we close out, uh, I'm curious, is there anything exciting that you're working on that you want to spotlight for our listeners? 
Well, in addition to the talent piece, um, it's really about leading digital uh, the data strategy for the federal CIO, working with our desk officers to ensure they have the best data possible uh, to serve their customer base, their constituents. And uh, data underpins all of the the federal CIO strategic initiatives, cybersecurity, IT modernization, digital delivery, and providing exceptional customer experience for the American public. It's about using the power of data to support um, our community. Eileen Vadreen on the new episode of Let's Talk About IT, the podcast that FedScoop's Billy Mitchell hosts. You can find a link to listen to the entire conversation and subscribe to the podcast in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms if you've already rated the show on your platform of choice. Thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast, a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together every day and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow with Andre Mendez, the CIO at the Commerce Department. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. 